Bibles, I'm going to uh, share, a, I didn't let Carrie know, it's my bad, but uh, I'm going to share from the book of Acts tonight, and then we're actually going to do this text too, but I, I want to kind of follow the sequence. In the book of Acts, um, the little verse that I want to focus on kind of set our tone for all of the Lenten season, and it comes in chapter 3 of the book of Acts. And uh, I'm going to start about verse 17. The verse I want to focus on is just 19. So if, uh, if we can uh, turn there, uh, give you a little context. Uh, the, the Peter and John are in the uh, temple, and there's a beggar that is begging by the side of the temple, and he's asking for something, and the beggar replies, uh, or John replies, or Peter, excuse me, get it right here. Peter replies, we have nothing, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we will give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And the beggar responds by being able to stand up, and then it says he began to leap and jump and praise God. Now, if you can keep that picture in your mind, I've seen that a couple of times portrayed in some of the Jesus films, and every time you, you know, that the actor, the person, the setting, they're trying to get it right, and uh, they can get the gate and the city and the, and the temple look pretty well because they can just go there and do the film right there. But that, that moment when this, this person crippled, possibly from birth, however long he was crippled, crippled from birth, now for the first time is moving and functioning and able to leap and jump and dance and praise. Uh, that, if you can just see that and, and just kind of picture that in your mind, I'm not sure what the word refreshing means. Uh, as I was thinking of it, I, you know, you can say, well, that was a refreshing drink, right? Uh, and you have an ice-cold drink on a hot day, and you say, that was refreshing. And then I thought, uh, refreshing has a, has a few more connotations to it. Uh, it isn't just, uh, you know, it's that shower after you've gotten all sweaty and dirty. That feels very refreshing. So we got a little bit more than just something that we taste. It has, it's something that we feel. But I think uh, the refreshing that this person had and the experience that he had was something so radically different that it's beyond uh, our normal comprehension to be living life under a certain set of circumstances with a certain mindset and certain limitations and to be in an instant totally set free, to be broken free from that and everything in your life changes from that moment on and to be refreshed, to be restarted, to begin anew in a brand new sense. Uh, so I, I want to try and keep all those things together because uh, you can be refreshed in a lot of different ways. I was thinking the other day, I, I came out of class today and I had a third hour class. And my third hour class and I have really gotten along really well, but yesterday I returned a test to them. And there were a lot of bad grades. And so they, these kids were wound. You know, oh, you didn't give us enough time, your test was too hard. And I smiled and I said, listen, 20% of you got A's. The rest of you be quiet. So I was, you know, I, I was smiling at them, but they were wound. And so I came out, and then today they were still pretty wound. And I came out, and I go, Brad, I think I'm a terrible teacher because we come out during the halftime. And, and then uh, <coughs> everyone agreed. I know. Thank you. And, uh, and then I smiled and said, I guess, but I'll go back at it. And then two or three classes later, I came back again. I said, thank God that we don't just teach one class a day. We get to teach five or six. Because by the next four or five classes, three or four classes, I said, I guess not everybody hates me. So you can be refreshed by weird things, right? 
In other words, you, you're, it changes your perspective because something just kind of caused you to look at it and approach something differently. And uh, one, one of the things that the Spirit is trying to do is always take us from the condition and the attitudes that we've accumulated, that kind of sleepiness that kind of sweeps over us, not only because we've eaten and it's that time of night where we all want to sleep, but that, that sleepiness that comes on us where we settle into that routine. We have those patterns develop, and in many ways they're very comfortable. And if anything comes in and causes them to be tweaked or twisted, we sometimes feel uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with the change. On the other hand, it gets so repetitious that it becomes almost mundane and we lose a sense of the joy and the pleasure of the moment. And so in the middle of all of these strange circumstances that we have that make up our lives, God's got to come in and and do this work in our lives. And so I wanted you to look at verse 17 through the the end section here. Uh, The beggar is, uh, people are noticing the beggar. Um, I'm just kind of reviewing verse 11. And uh, all of these marvelous things are done. And Peter gets this opportunity to preach. And he just preaches uh, this great word. And he says, don't you people understand? He said, this is the Jesus that we've been talking about. This is the Jesus that was prophesied. This is really him. It's here. This is the one. And so he's preaching this kind of sermon. And then in verse 17, 17, he goes, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Now, if you just drop that into this understanding, try to, try to recognize the people are drawn because of the miracle, right? The healing has taken place. This beggar is now dancing, singing, and celebrating and glorifying God. We all would be attracted to that the same way we might be attracted uh, you know, even Dick back there with his heart surgery and out of, uh, uh, what is it, a week ago, almost? A week ago, I had heart surgery, bypass surgery, and he's sitting here with you in church. And I go, oh my goodness, you know. And uh, you see the miracle of, of the Lord and uh, him and uh, what God is doing in his life and, and just all the things that the doctors had to do. And you sit and you step back, you go, wow. And uh, it, can, it can be one of those kind of things. But what happens here, which is really neat, is that Peter takes this moment and he says, listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. Everything God has ever promised is going to come true. And he said, let me show you. And Peter, in this kind of quick review, runs through this list of all the stuff the people had done to Jesus, all the things that went on, and he gets done and he's looking at these people. And because it isn't just the information, it isn't just simply look at this information, But this Jesus, this miracle-working, powerful God that we see in Scripture is now coming to your life. In other words, it isn't just information. You have to remember a lot of these people are like you and me. It's information they've been taught since they were little. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, and we go to church, uh uh-huh, and then we have this event and that event, uh uh-huh. And they had their little celebrations, and they got into those patterns and those patterns and those patterns, and suddenly... The Jesus and the Messiah that was promised is here. It's staring them in the face. And for the first time, the life that they had been living is going to come face to face with something that's going to twist it. 
And that's the challenge that Peter ultimately wanted to give him. And he does this so beautiful, and he says, I know that you guys acted ignorantly. You really didn't fully comprehend what was going on. You didn't understand who you were killing. You didn't understand what was right there in front of you. And he, and he just gives them permission to be ignorant. And he said, I think maybe your leaders were ignorant too, because he's not going to fight that battle with them. I mean, he could point out what a rotten person Herod was and what, you know, all the different things like that. He doesn't go down that path instead, but he says, this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets saying that this Christ would suffer. And he gives them permission. He said, listen, uh, God told us it was going to be like this. This is exactly what he told us would happen, that Jesus would be crucified and he would die. You are now seeing this in front of you. And then he carries this next word, repent. Now, you've got to understand, the power of repent is always to turn or change your mind, change your perspective. All right? What is it that really changes your perspective? What really changes uh, how you're moving through your day? I gave my little example of I got a class and my perspective at that particular moment was, oh, man, life is really hard and miserable. I'm not getting anywhere. These kids are really upset. And, you know, three hours later, I have a slightly different perspective. Or every once in a while, God uh, will send something into my life where you're feeling kind of, oh, I just, I don't know what I'm doing this for. And, you know, you kind of get those moments where you're not always sure about stuff. And I had one of my, I, one of my kids who I used to coach in diving write me a note and say, hi, Pastor Harmon. I just wanted you to know that I still remember what you taught me in 1 Corinthians. And I dove with Greg Luganus. You know who Greg Luganus was, the Olympian? Okay. She said, I was on the same swim team with him and dove with him. And she goes, and right now, I'm raising my own family, and I just needed to let you know that God is alive and well in my life, and I'm still serving him, and I just wanted to let you know. After, what, 30 years, I get this note out of nowhere, and the answer is yes. And God whispers and says, did it change your perspective? And you go, yes, Lord, it does. And so the question is, what refreshes you? But not just refreshes you that gives you that good buzz or that good feeling that says, wow, that was a really good thing to taste, or it feels so good after the shower, what ultimately freshes you and turns you? In other words, what really makes us move in a different direction? Now, that's where it gets tough. Because a lot of us kind of, we, we, you know, it's like we hit, get hit, and then we just kind of swing back into the old stuff. That's the harder one in my life. I don't know what it's like in yours, but it's like God can hit you and you kind of swing back out of that. You're, he swings you out of that rut, and then all of a sudden you just kind of roll back into the rut. And you can't believe you're right back where you started, even though God has given you the impetus and the push to walk away from it. And so the real challenge that I see in this text is that the refreshing comes as two things happen. And Washri says, repent and turn. Okay? Repent and turn the process. Now the thing that uh, I look at that and I go, those are two actions I'm supposed to take. In other words, uh, you go, I'm supposed to repent, which means... Have your attitude change, change your mind about what's going on. And the second one is turn. So if I'm walking this way, I turn and walk in this direction. And there's been a hundred times in my life or a thousand times in my life where God has got me to that point and said, repent and turn. And the thing that strikes me about this particular text is that Peter does something very important. Peter starts on all the power and the work that God has done. In other words, he, he sets them up. He said, this is the Christ, this is really it, and it is here, and it's in your hands, and it's in front of you. And then he leads them down into that direction and said, have I given you enough to lead you, to move you, to encourage you, 
to repent and turn. Now, some of the people obviously did. Some of them are more like us, where you go, yes, no. And you roll back, and you go right back into the old patterns. The trouble with the old patterns is they always pull us down. The trouble with we, when we don't enter into that, the very thing that God wants to give you is stifled and taken away from you. And it's not like someone took it away. It's more like you gave it up. All right? If you've ever tried to go on a diet, if you've ever tried to uh, change a habit, if you've ever tried, you have that moment where things are going well and you're feeling really good. You're feeling successful. And then if you're not careful, you get into this mode, this pattern, this rut, and you're right back where you were. And in one sense, you feel twice as bad as if you'd never done it in the first place. And so that becomes the kind of challenge that God has in dealing with real-life people like us. How does he bring us from these patterns so he can actually set us free? In other words, God is not just simply up there saying, I have completed it all. Now he has to take this thing called the gospel, and he's got to push it, coax it, drag it, encourage it, cut you open, stuff it in your heart, until finally it produces the change in the attitude and heart and actions in your life and mine. And that's the challenge that Peter's feeling. So he goes on and he says, repent and turn, reminds him so that your sins can be wiped out. And the miracle, of course, of that little phrase, it means to just literally to remove them. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, there's a, an analogy that's used to try and explain this word where, they, where sometimes they would write on wax tablets a piece of wood or stone covered with wax, a thin layer of wax. And you'd push the letters into it and then you would heat, when it was all done, you would heat a piece of uh, metal and you'd take that hot piece of metal and drag it back and forth very carefully across that wax and all of the writing was wiped out. And that's literally the implication of this thing being wiped away. It is wiped out. You no longer see any of the tally marks against you. And so Peter's trying to encourage them by using this analogy your sins have been wiped away, and he's trying to move them to the next point. Then he adds this, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now notice the source of the refreshing. And if you feel successful, and this is the part that we usually mess up, if you're the one making the effort, you sometimes get to that point, and then your effort quits or stops, and you go, what a failure I am. But it's because your refreshing has not come from the Lord, your refreshing has come from your degree of success. And so when you don't succeed, your refreshing disappears. And so what happens is you're living in the power of the flesh, you're not living in the power of God, nor in the power of the gospel, nor in the power of God's forgiveness. You're living in the power of your ability to change or work or do a certain thing. As a result, it has only that amount of limitation and refreshing for you. If you're living in that kind of condition what you begin to understand is when I'm doing well, I feel good, refreshed, and successful. When I don't do so well, all of those things seem to come back on me and I feel dep depressed and frustrated and down again. And God whispers at you and he says, child, if you continue to live like this, you are never living in the power of God. You're always living under the power of your own sinfulness, under the limitations of your own strength. And the truth is, like us in almost every circumstance of life, no matter what task you have, whether it's uh, training for something or uh, taking on the challenges of anything, you kind of roll in these fluctuations 
of one day you're successful and the next day or week or month you're not so successful. And God whispers and says, Christians are not to be living under that power which is their own. They're being called to live in a totally different spirit with a totally different heart, relying on a source of refreshing that is not based on the circumstance they happen to be in. And so that's why when he says, and the refreshing will come from the Lord, it won't come from your obedience, it won't come from all of the other things. What has to happen is, in real repentance, I begin to look at God and say, God, you want to know who I am? I'm a man who gets out of the rut, almost always by your mercy and grace, and pretty soon I find myself back in the rut. The problem in my life, Lord, is that while I really don't want to do this, I find myself going back to the same wretched stuff. And God whispers to you, and he says, do you want your refreshing to be based on you or me? Do you want it to be resting in your behavior or in mine? And he carries that through, and he begins to introduce you to this concept. He begins to say, listen, you can't walk into any situation. You stand in front of 30 kids. Those kids may rip you leg from leg from arm, okay? That's the truth, because they have good days and bad days. They come with all the, you know, the fluctuations of weather and barometer of it's the three snow days in a row and we haven't had a snow or three days of snow in a row and we didn't get a snow day. And they can be angry because the last teacher did something. They can be angry at you. And I just smiled and I said, I'm not sure I deserve all the things you're dumping on me today, but if it's helping you to vent, go for it. But I'm getting, you see, if, if our reliance, our emotion is, and, our, and our feelings are going to be based on our responses to a particular situation... We're always overwhelmed. We're like the little girl who says, I think my chocolate phone got scratched because I've been bad. We're we're relying on ourselves. Therefore, when my phone doesn't get scratched, does that mean I've been good? You see, and that's really the kind of life so many Christian people live. They're not living in the power of the Spirit. They haven't tasted the glory of God. They really have no concept at all of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They have no perception of what it means to be empowered by God they're empowered by their own ability to do something good, righteous, or true. And what happens is we negate, we steal, we rip apart the gospel, and the gospel never really enters our life. I mean, it covers us in the sense of forgiveness and the sense that, yeah, God is going to forgive us, but we never taste the power. We never truly get refreshed because our refreshing is only based upon something we do. And so what God here is trying to get through Peter into these people's lives, he goes, so that your sins will be wiped out, notice, by the grace of God, second part, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send Christ, who has been appointed to you. This is an entire process of walking in a totally different way. It's the difference between walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the power of my flesh. I can be a Christian pastor, a godly man, in the power of my flesh. I can look good for one hour for you on Sunday, or three hours or seven hours, depending upon. I can look, that'd be a little harder though, I have to be honest about that. One hour is pushing it for me. But I can look good for a period of time. I can do those kinds of external things, but ultimately, when you have those pressure points in your life, you begin to find out, is your reliance upon you, or is your faith in God? Are you trusting in what God is able to do? And you hear these men, these people, 
that are demonstrating it in Scripture. And I use the example of Stephen where Stephen is going, as he looks up into heaven, Father, don't hold this sin against him, as they, they throw these stones at him. Or Paul who says, whether I live or die, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I have no concern about these things. I'm not living by the limitations of the ruts of life and the circumstances. I'm living on the power of God that consistently loves me, that consistently works in my life. I'm living on the awareness that all of the promises God has ever made, and this is part of the miracle, this little section in Acts, all the promises God has made has come true. And the truth is that one, guy, one day God will save this wretched sinner by his mercy and grace, not because he's done anything right, not because he was a pastor, not because he tried this or didn't try that, not because he did it right or wrong, but I'm going to be saved by God's grace and his mercy. And as soon as that really registers, I begin to walk in a different relationship and a different power and a different anointing. And that's part of our dilemma. If you, if you get into, I'm working at this and I'm trying hard, when you stop trying, the rut starts all over again. And you can dig that rut so deep it feels like you may never get out. And God sits there and he grabs you. Have you ever had that? He just grabs you and he just pulls you out and he throws you over here. He says, you're not going to be there for now. And he pulls you out and, you know, you got this brush with death. You've got this cancer moment. You've got this horrible situation in your life. And God says, how are you doing? And you go, God, I can't do anything. I can't make it. And God whispers, good. Let me pull you out. And he sets you out over there. And he refreshes you. He refreshes you not because you have sipped something or got your life together. He refreshes you by the truth. I am working even in this situation. I have not let you go. The power of everything I've ever promised you is still coming true in your life. And so that's the challenge that you know, Lent presents to us in this whole process. It goes, dear God, can I start Lent with a different attitude? Can I just look at you and say, I am a man of ruts. I'm a man of limitations. I keep walking down the same miserable path, but I don't want my faith any longer to be built on the quality or work of this person that I am. I want it to be built instead on the power that comes as your spirit flows into me. And it's literally a new way of thinking. It is a brand new way of understanding your relationship with God. The old ways of trying to improve yourself are not going to work. They just get you nowhere. They always put you back in that improvement rut or whatever that rut happens to be that's in your life. Instead, the Spirit of God says, no, I have to walk. You have to just be pulled free from that. And so that's what he's trying to do with these people here as he begins talking about this. And he finishes it off. And he says, these are the things that the prophets and everyone kept telling you about. What happened to the people on Pentecost? A rut. Oh, woe is us. It's so, you know, God, you know, different things they don't fully comprehend. And, and all of a sudden, down comes that Holy Spirit. And what happens? He pulls them out of the rut. What was the rut? We were going to do this and we had to do that. No, he says, I will send you a spirit. And when that spirit overpowers you, you will be given gifts that you can't comprehend. You'll be speaking in ways that you never dreamed. You'll be looking at life you've, like you've never looked at it. Your very fear will be turned into boldness. Your very rut will be nothing but a memory because you're going to be walking in a brand new power. Here they are pulled out. And here's Peter looking at these guys. I'm a man of ruts. Let me tell you what God did for me. 
I am the denier. I am all these things. And bam, he pulls them out of this rut. That's what Peter is trying to pass on. And that's the greatest challenge of Christ or God trying to enter your world. It is his greatest challenge to get you out of the way so he can do in you what he wants to do. And so the same thing happens as you listen to Peter trying to get these people to get themselves out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can give to them what they want. Can you, can you just understand, if we just start walking into Lent and say, Lord, I want to diminish so that Pentecost happens in my heart this Lent. I want to taste the power and the freedom that comes from not living in myself, for myself, or to myself. I want to taste the power that comes from knowing you. And knowing you means the God who promised it from the beginning of time, who carried miracle upon miracle upon miracle through, who brought it through into completion in Jesus Christ, who carried this church, sustained the church through the centuries, and brought me to this point in my life. I want that refreshing spirit that opens my eyes and tastes life in a brand new way. I want Pentecost in my life this Lent. I don't want to sit there and just say, oh, I'm so sinful and I'm so wretched. God says, that's fine, Harmon. Knock it off. But instead, I want to taste the power and the mercy and the grace that just emboldens these people to walk in a brand new way. Because that's what God is trying to give here. So the repentance just throws open the doors of what God is trying to do for you. In other words, if you can just leave tonight going, Lord, I want to diminish, I want to be emptied out, and I want instead that Pentecost moment in my life. I don't know when the last time you tasted the power of Pentecost, but if you haven't tasted it, you need it. And if you have tasted it, you know exactly what I'm asking you to do. If it happened at some time when you were, it happens in my life a lot of times when I, when I can't go anywhere else and I feel so low and God just goes, bam, and white, you know, just wipes you out with the power that he wants to give you. And he says, why don't you live like this all the time? And the answer comes back because I runt out over here and I think I'm making this happen. And you just you get, kind of get lost in that rut all over again. And so what God wants us to do tonight and be very alert to tonight is this Lenten season. Remember, it kind of goes, guys, we win. Easter's coming. You've got to understand, the rut is defeated it's been filled in. You have been rescued. Christ who has completed it all. We're heading toward the resurrection Sunday. We're moving not in the middle of our sinfulness. We're moving in the power of who have we become in Jesus Christ. And so our Lenten theme, if you understand it, is really I want repentance so that I can begin to taste the refreshing power of God, the newness of the Spirit, and the walk that God has intended for me. Pray with me if you would. Lord, uh, draw us into your presence. We pray for a grace right now. A grace that looks at myself and say, Lord, I'm a man of ruts. A grace, Lord, that recognizes that I don't want to live like this. But then a grace, Lord, that finally says, Holy Spirit, wash over me. Fill me. Change me. Turn me from the, the direction that I've been walking. Heal me. Restore me into something different than I've ever been. I don't want it to be in the power of my own flesh. I don't want it to be in the power of my own intellect. I want it to be in the power of knowing you. I want it to be in the power of the joy of your presence in my life. I want to taste the power of your Holy Spirit, the work of God, and the effective uh, work of the church around the world. I want to be in the flow of what you're doing, Lord, not in the flow of what I think matters. 
I want to walk like we've never walked before. I want to be lifted up. I want to be raised into a different walk, and I want my eyes to see life differently. And then, Lord, I pray that in that power, all things would change. All parts of my life would be touched. That I would surrender not the direction of uh, my own heart, but I would surrender, Lord, all of me. That every part of me would be able to surrender to you, Lord, and that you would guide me and lead me in this whole process. I pray that for all of us, Lord. I pray for the Pentecost moment in our lives this Lenten season. I pray that there would be such an outpouring of your spirit that uh, every bit of lethargy or every bit of sleepiness or every, every rut that is run into our lives would just be filled and covered up and removed. That there would be a fresh spirit, a fresh wind blowing across this fellowship, Lord. I just pray that over us now. I pray the wind of your Holy Spirit into our lives. I pray the truth that we have been made new in you, Jesus, to register in our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that in the power that comes from you, we would become people who are intimately seeking to know you better, who are desiring to experience your presence in more parts of our life, who have tasted the joy of knowing you and desire to be leaping and dancing and celebrating in your presence. So work that in our lives, Lord. Begin tonight and let your spirit be poured out in your people. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Now, do you have a song for us? Is that what that is, Mark? Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm.